It is by grace, O God, that we have learned to sing from the depth of our souls that you and you alone are great and greatly to be praised. We are a people who've learned that, learned it not by some kind of cognitive experience. We've learned it because the Holy Spirit of God overtook us, granted us eyes to see and ears to hear, the very God that we thought of at one time indifferently. We think of him like that no more. In fact, he is our highest loyalty in life. And I pray, O oh God, that as we come here today, that we might be reminded that what we are, we are, we are souls with bodies. We're not bodies with souls. That one day, these souls of ours will live in your presence for an eternity if we have been found in Christ Jesus. So now, O oh God, accept our worship. Accept our praise. You say you, you, you enjoy the praises of your people. So from the depths of our hearts, we praise you. We praise you for this glorious gospel that tells men who are as wicked as I that forgiveness is theirs because the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law. That Jesus Christ is not looking for great acts of servitude, but he's looking for hearts full of love for himself. Those are our hearts, Father. And might our praise, might our worship be acceptable in your sight, not, not in the congregation's sight. They are here to worship too. We're all here to perform before you because you are the only audience that counts. Now, Father, accept our gifts. Might they bring you glory and advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ in him alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges. Now, we're going we're gonna to be able to find that quicker and quicker as we go along here. But uh, I'll give you 17 minutes to find it first. Um, let, let me read to you the first 15 verses. And, and one of the big problems I had this week is trying to figure out where do I stop? I, do I include that little vignette or not? Well, that, this is where I stopped at the end of verse 15. Follow as I read Judges chapter 1 at verse 1. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to, his, to Simeon, his brother, who, by the way, was a blood brother. They had the same mother. Come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek and fought against him. And they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Then Adonai Bezek fled. And they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. Then they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died.
Now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set, it, set the city on fire. And afterward the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains in the south and then in the lowland. Then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kirjath Arba. And they killed Shishai, Ahimon, and Talmai. From there they went against the inhabitants of Deber. The name of Deber was formerly Kirjath Sefer. Then Caleb said, Whoever attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it, to him I will give my daughter Aksa as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. So he gave him his daughter Aksa as wife. Now it happened when she came to him that she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? So she said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, this could be a very long sermon. Now, they used to tell us in seminary that a, a bad short sermon was much better than a bad long sermon. So, uh, it, it, I, I'm going to try to listen to that advice this morning, but uh, it, it could be long, or the sermon could be long, because this, this little passage here, and this whole book, in, uh, in fact, is full of pictures of human frailty. You're going to see them dotting the landscape of this 21-chapter uh, uh, book. And, and then in the midst, or in the, in, in, the, in the midst of those human frailties, you find woven in there principles that are supposed to help us, designed for us, to minimize the impact of those frailties on our overall lives. For example, let me, let me just... There's, there's, a, there's a dozen in here, and, and, well, maybe not a dozen, but uh, look at verses 1 and 2. Um, After that, John's children asked the Lord, uh, saying, Who shall be first to go up against Canaanites? And the Lord said, Send Judah. Well, um, this turns out to be a real, real good uh, first battle. Man, they beat those guys badly. And, and I hope you can see uh, why uh, there was such success. Well, the success was, at least in part, the fact that you notice that they started, they started by inquiring of the Lord. They never started any battle before they, they sought God, at least at this juncture. You're going to find worse later on, but... At, at this juncture, you see them saying, okay, God, we know you're sovereign and we know that you're in control, so please tell us, should we go up? And if we go up, who should go first? And thus they had success. Now, from that, you and I ought to draw a principle, shouldn't we? Pretty easy to spot, is it not? The principle would be... Well, you know, before we ever do anything, we ought, to, uh, we ought to pray and ask God. Great principle. But, but do you remember that motorcycle you bought last year or a year or so ago, just on a whim? 
or the swimming pool that you put in because your kids were bored one summer and you wish you didn't have that blasted thing anymore. You know, the, the point is, here are some principles that are supposed to help us in overcoming human frailties, human error, human sin. There's one of them. Um, I, I guess the, the second thing that I, I would remind you of in this study, of this little passage, is um, we watch Israel, our friends Israel, still fighting the people they were sent to destroy. You know, that this should have been over long ago. That is, this this battling the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hittites. They should have been history. But here they are, still struggling with the same old group of folks. And the reason they're struggling is because they let them hang around too long. That is, those enemies. So, as can be expected from all enemies of our soul, if we allow them to stay along, stay around too long, they get stronger. And thus, the battle begins. And, and it tends to be far more fierce than it perhaps should have been had we dealt with this earlier on. You know, back when we became Christians, we brought into our relationship to Jesus um, these habits. That's a nice word. We'll just call them habits. We brought all that stuff into the kingdom with us and, and that we know, we know as we see here today, that they're not supposed to be true of us. We know that that we're not supposed to be reading smutty little novels. And we know that telling dirty jokes is not something that should be true of us Christians. And, and there is something deep in the recesses of our consciences that says, you know, gambling <laughs> down at, um, uh, you know, down at, uh, down at the beach in Tunica? Well, that really ought not be, I, I don't think, but here they are. Here they are again today, still battling the same old stuff. I've been a Christian 10 years, and the enemies are still there. And the problem? Just like Israel, we let them hang around too long. And Satan loves to torment us over the presence of these things in our lives. I got a suggestion for you in that regard. Here's what I think we all ought to make a commitment to do in, in, in just this little human frailty. What we need to do is to make a commitment to lengthen the period of our failures. You know, I used to do this every three days and now it's up to five days. And I used to do it every time now it's seven days. And then nine days. And then 11 days. And then 15 days. And then 30 days. That's a start, ladies and gentlemen. As we deal with things, enemies of our souls that should have never been here, they should never be, they should never be 
they should never be true of us. You know, sometimes, I, and, and I absolutely find this astonishing, although not because I'm so holy, but, you know, I have people come to me and tell me dirty jokes. And, and you know, you would think that they would, well, you know, Jimmy's a bum, but we better not tell him a dirty joke. But they tell me dirty jokes. You know, well, guys, and, and then, then I'm really faced with a crisis. <laughs> if it's funny, <laughs> I, I, I dare not laugh. Let's lengthen the period between our failures and get rid of these, these enemies. Well, um, there's all kinds of little things like that in this text. All kinds of little human frailty, all kinds of little principles that should be, um, um, you know, helpful in, uh, in our effort to, um, to deal with stuff that hangs on. Look at this guy by the name of Adonai Bezek. <laughs> uh, you know that term uh, Adonai? Well, it's, it's a non-technical term, and it, and, it, uh, and it can be translated Master King, and, and so Bezek was the Master King, and his first name, his, his name is Bezek, and because he was king, he was Adonai Bezek. And, uh, you know, Israel goes down and whoops him, and, uh, and then they cut off his thumbs and his big toes, which means that he's not going to be much of a, a warrior anymore. He can't swing much of a... And then they, they capture him and do that. And, and, and notice what he says. You know what? I did this exact same thing to 70 kings. Now, he might have been exaggerating a little bit, but 70 kings. But he added to his the, the, uh, the degradation and the humiliation and the grinding cruelty and insult by just throwing crumbs of bread under the table and these 70 little kings would would uh, scurry around under his table and, and grab the scraps because they were starving. Do you know what the, what the term lex teleonis means? I think it's teleonis, not teleonis. Um, you know what it means? It's, it's, the, it's the law of vengeance, eye for an eye. Well, um, I'm not suggesting that that's what this is. But I am suggesting it's this. God assures us that as a man reaps, so shall he sow. In, in fact, in, in Galatians 6, where that is mentioned in the New Testament, before, he, before the text says it, it says, do not, do not think that God will be mocked. Because as a man sows, so shall he reap. Don't be so foolish as to think that God will be mocked. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here is, um, here is a man who understood the vengeance that has now overtaken him because as he sowed he repped <laughs> reaped or whatever it is then there's one other little lesson I want to I want to point you to in this little battle 
it's a wonderful little idea, I think. Um, they pray, who goes first? Um, okay, Judah goes first. Um, and by the way, um, I'm, you're going to conquer them. So these Israelites, they are being called upon to fight. Yes. They don't get to skip the battle. They have to fight. But they are fighting with the outcome that is not in doubt. They are fighting from victory, not to victory. They know that the final outcome is, is established. They are simply fighting to get hold of possessions that are already something they possess. And people, they owned that land from the time they crossed the Jordan River and, and Jericho fell. But they never quite took ownership of it. Therefore, they couldn't enjoy it. Gang, we know how this story ends. I don't know about you, but I've read the last chapter. Uh, I mean, back here. We know how the story ends. We're not fighting to victory. We're fighting from victory. And I want you to know, no matter how deep this culture sinks in its sin, we're fighting from victory. Oh, we have to fight all right. Yes, yes, yes. Anybody out there fighting? Or is it just me? I know better than that. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to win. But there are things out there that are already ours. But we haven't gone and gotten them. Maybe because we don't like... Maybe we just like personal peace and security. That's what Francis Schaeffer said. Gang, the victory is ours. Let's go take what's ours. The next little vignette in this passage has to do with the Jebusites. The Jebusites, of course, um, were the residents of Jerusalem, which, by the way, is no doubt the, uh, the hometown of a guy by the name of Melchizedek, who was called the Prince of Salem. And so, of course, Melchizedek is off the scene, but the Jebusites now have Jerusalem. And um, why, we're told in the text that why, uh, it's in verse 7, that Bezek was taken to Jerusalem and he died there. Why he was taken there, the, the text does not tell us. Maybe it was simply to scare the Jebusites, uh, showing them what they had already, who they had already conquered. But Jerusalem is defeated. But if you look at verse 21, which is not in our text, but if you'll just notice, but the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin. The Jebusites were defeated. But they were not, Jerusalem was not occupied. And because it wasn't occupied, there was a problem. A continuing problem. And, and, and the problem that I think that, that is the one that we have, which is so similar to this, is that sometimes we forget, and maybe oftentimes we forget, or, or at least prone to forget, the battles that we fought to, to make certain spiritual gains 
and we never take full victory over them. Let's take the issue. This is one real personal to me. Let's take the issue of humility. Has God ever knocked the slats out from under you? He has me. And then you, you find yourself walking in humility for a week. And then there you are. You never, you never really strangled that thing. So the result is we have to fight the same spiritual battle over and over and over again. We fight, we win, then we retreat. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that's not a very good battle plan. That's what you see these guys doing. Oh, they beat them all right, but they let them stay. Because they did, they gotta, they got to fight them again. Now, ladies and gentlemen, um, for the rest of my sermon, I come to what is my favorite part of this passage, and that's really why I, I read all the way through verse 15. Do you remember back when Michael Jordan was playing basketball, and now he's selling Hanes underwear and, and talking to Bugs Bunny? But... Um, um, you remember that, that little campaign they had? I want to be like Mike. Well, you know what? I don't blame folks for wanting to be like Mike. Mike was, uh, you know, he's pretty much shown himself to be an honorable character and, you know, hasn't, hasn't blown it yet that I know of. But I, I, I got somebody else I want to be like. I want to be like Caleb. <laughs> If you don't know who Caleb is, let me tell you real quickly. We've, we've got to hurry uh, because this long sermon is being briefened a bit. But um, you remember back in uh, Numbers 13, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers 13, Moses sends out 12 spies. They're right at, they're 11 miles from the promised land. Go send out some spies. Send out some spies and, and, and tell them to report to us how things were. And so they come back. The 12 spies come back. And boy, do they ever bring some great grapes. And uh, unfortunately, they also bring along with them, at least 10 of them do, uh, a very negative report. Oh, boy, they got great grapes over there. And I saw honey and milk flowing, but they also have the sons of Anak. We could wear grasshoppers next to the sons of Anak. No, we shouldn't go. And then these two dudes, Joshua and Caleb, they step forward and they say, well, what are you guys talking about? God gave us that. Let's go get it. Those sons of Anak are no match for our God. And, and you see this, this story unfolding in Numbers in 13, 14, and even in, um, even in the book of Joshua. And so Hebron becomes Caleb's city. Remember, Caleb goes to Joshua and says, now listen, you know, back in Numbers 13, uh, you know, Moses said, uh, you know, you're going to get a this and that. So he comes to Joshua and says, I, um, I want my city, and that's the one I want right over there. Um, it's the one that's full of the sons of Anak, and it's called Hebron. And um, that's okay. I'll take care of it. And uh, so he goes and destroys all those men who made Israel feel like grasshoppers. Now, here's my point. He was 85 years old when he made that request. 
85. Now, you might say, well, the age scale is a little bit different, and you know. And, uh, okay, I can grant you some of that. Let's call him 65. There's a, there's a couple of principles here, ladies and gentlemen, that we cannot miss. Number one, perhaps the greatest accomplishment of your life can take place after retirement. And number two, there is no retirement for the people of God. Gang, um, we old guys, we old guys, those of us who have received our AARP cards, um, how did those people ever get my birthday? But uh, I, I've got mine, but I don't. I don't carry it around. I, I refuse to buy a cup of coffee at McDonald's with my AARP card. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, we old guys, we love to sit around and deplore the, the softness of the youth. They got no work ethic. But let me ask you this. Since when did old age give us an excuse for sloth. You show me that. I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, if you are doing crossword puzzles, nothing sinful about doing crossword puzzles. I'm not trying to, you know. But you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Doing crossword puzzles when there are, when there are, there are mountains still to be taken? You know, um, I would I would love to take this guy that I want to be like Caleb and and, and ask him some questions about uh, how do you view the person that is inside your own skin, um, struggling with fear or self pity or or uselessness or guilt? Not a chance. Can you hear him saying something like this? All right, you folks, leave me alone. Uh, I deserve a comfortable, shady spot now. Uh, you owe me some benefits for all those years I've worked so hard. I've done my part. Now it's their turn. Have you ever said that? I taught those Sunday school classes. Absolutely I did. That's him young folks' turn. Well, maybe it is. But where did you get an excuse for sloth? I can, I, I can hear Caleb saying, you see that range of mountains over there, guys? Um, give me that one. That's the one I want to go, go at. And, and bring on those sons of Anak. Just give me a chance at those fortified cities of theirs. Here, here. You can take the bedroom slippers. I'm, I'm getting myself a pair of hiking boots. Guys, um, the problem is not our age. The problem is that a traditional mindset, an attitude that we've adopted from a culture. We've been programmed to believe that at age 65, we have permission to turn into an occupational pumpkin. You know, causing us to think that we can, you know, shuffle and stoop and sneer and snore our way into the, through the rest of our lives. That's, that's nonsense. 
Gang, we cannot alter the inevitable. Yes, aging is not a choice. And, but we can adjust our attitude towards it. And not, not on a yearly basis, on a daily basis. And I'm sorry that, that every morning you get up with a new ache or pain. Um, I, I, I'm getting there. Um, me and that friend and that bottle of a leaf have been become close friends. But, but aging isn't a choice, but our response to it is. And, and I'm telling you, I think in so many ways we determine how it is that we, we grow old. I got to tell you this story. I, I just got a couple of few more minutes, and, but I got to tell you this story. It's a Chuck Swindoll story. He tells a, a story about a couple who, a retired couple who had gone to a Christian conference in Colorado Springs. And uh, they were dear Christians, and they, they were kind of living out their lives. And the, the theme of the conference was looking unto Jesus. So the theme, that looking unto Jesus, took place all, um, all week long. And so they both got pretty convicted. And one night, uh, pretty much the last night of the conference, they looked at each other and they said, you know what, we, we've, we've done that. We, we, uh, we have been, uh, uh, you know, just been slothful and, you know, and we need to look unto Jesus and spend the rest of our lives with Jesus Christ on the throne of our lives. And, and, and we are going to follow the Lord fully. So they, they bowed together and prayed and said, Lord, we give you first place in our lives. We've lived too many years for ourselves, but we're not going to do that anymore. Uh, we've decided to spend the rest of our lives uh, living for you. No matter what happens, the rest of our days are in your hands. So they got the next morning, ate the breakfast, you know, and headed on off to back to their home conference. It was over. So it was a long trip home, and, and towards the beginning of the evening, uh, they were traveling down a road, and something awful happened. A car, a two-lane road, a car from the other lane pulled over into their lane, and they were headed towards a head-on collision. So this man swerved to the right, put on his brakes, skidded down this side of this thing into a ravine filled with water. And so the, the, the car began to fill with water. His, his wife opened her window, crawled out the, the, her window. He did the same thing out his window, and they both got up. Uh, on the roof of the car and where they were relatively safe it wasn't that deep and but you know there was a little water on their feet and so they were so shaken they, they grabbed hold of each other and began to sing praise God from whom all blessings flow they sang the doxology and uh, so they were just hugging and, and singing praises to God about how good he was to them in sparing their lives and when they opened their eyes, unbeknownst to them, there on a little bridge right above them was a large group of people who had gathered because they were interested to see how these people were. And so they were up there listening uh, to them sing the doxology, and one who was a highway patrolman had his hat off over his heart. <laughs> and so, you know, they, they kind of didn't know what to say. It was kind of a silence. And, and, um, and then finally this... The older gentleman looked up to the crowd and he says, I'm sure you're all wondering why I call this meeting. <laughs> and then began to tell them about the decision that they had made that Jesus Christ was going to be the priority in their lives. Ladies and gentlemen, what are you doing with your blasted crossword puzzles? Now, I'm going to close in just a minute. But I've got to tell you one more thing.
Because very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, this has not been a very good sermon. I mean, I think it's good. But, but fundamentally, foundationally, um, if you want to analyze it, it's not been a very good sermon. And I'll tell you why. Because you know what I've done for you this morning? I've given you a list of moralisms. You know, if you're going to make a decision, you need to pray first. You know, you need to, you need to stop reading those somebody novels. You need to live, you know, at the end of the old age. I've given you a, a list of moralisms. And they're good moralisms, ladies and gentlemen. They're very good. And I think you should emulate every one of them. I think they're all good things for the people of God to do. I'm not saying they're bad moralisms. They're good moralisms. But, my friends, if you walk out of here this morning thinking that Christianity is a collection of moralisms, you have missed everything. Christianity is not a list of moralisms. Now, there's a whole lot of moral behavior asked of us. Yes, but that's not what Christianity is. And so I've saved this last point for now. Do you know who Caleb was? He was a Kenizzite. Do you know who Kenizzites were? They were sons of Esau, not Jacob. Do you understand the point? Do you understand that Caleb was a convert? Caleb wasn't a legitimate Jew. He had come to Judaism because he saw the glory of Judaism's God. And so he came out of his unbelief, out of his family of Esau, and transferred over into the the family of God by God's grace. Ladies and gentlemen, Caleb is a marvelously exemplary human being. Yes, yes, yes. Go live like Caleb. But if you have not yet adopted Caleb's God, I don't care how many rooftops you stand on and sing the doxology to. Because when you die, it'll all be over. Gang, Caleb is a is a man to emulate. But the uh, one thing I want you to emulate the most is that you get overtaken with Caleb's God so much that you transfer out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I have one more vignette, but we'll have to say it next week. Father, thank you for this marvelous man who um, understood things that some of us in this room do not understand. He understood that the only safe place to be is as a follower of Jehovah that there are no other gods but but him. That all other gods are nothing but idols made with men's hands. And people who concoct gods in their own imagination today are just as much in danger 
as was the family of Caleb who remained outside the household of faith. But Father, if you've brought somebody here today who is a son of Esau, a son of unbelief, might they see how absolutely essentially imperative it is that they take hold of Jesus Christ who is the one that performed all the righteousness that God demanded. Lead people to Jesus, Father. Do it today. We ask it in Christ's name.